Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Ask LFC podcast. This is episode 14. Uh, I am Harrison Gilming. I am the worship arts director here at Lake Forest Church in Huntersville. I'm sitting down today with... Mike Moses, lead pastor of the Lake Forest family of churches, and most specifically, Lake Forest Church, Huntersville. Good to see you all speaking to the family of churches uh, as we got intense last Sunday in the sermon and in the prayer moment that Jeff gave. Mm-hmm. We just knew that, uh, as everyone knows, this is a, uh, uh, a perilous and an intense and emotion-laden moment in our country, in all of our lives, with two crises going on at the same time, a pandemic and uh, civil unrest over uh, re-reminding. The country has been re-reminded by these videos that there remains racial inequities and injustice in this country, and we're in turmoil over both of those things. And so the first 15 minutes of the sermon just was there, uh, was intense, uh, I think was needed. So if you if you weren't a part of a, our worship last Sunday, I'd love for you to hear my heart and our church's heart on these matters. I won't yeah. repeat them. We pulled a clip of the that first stretch and put it on our uh, Facebook, and I think we'll I think we'll even be uh, emailing a link to that out along with a couple uh, other things here later this week. So it would definitely be worth checking out. And it was uh, it was it was a neat uh, moment for Lake Forest. Huntersville to be able to uh, to be able to step back and have the flexibility to say, okay, we have some great plans. Now let's scrap about half of them. <laughs> and they were funny too, yeah. Harrison. It was going to be funny. The, the sermon you didn't get to preach was going to be <laughs> awesome. Yeah, and you know me, I can't be serious for more than a minute at a time. So uh, that was hard for me. <laughs> that kind of seems like the fish that got away, Mike. That, I'm not was, sure I'm buying it. That was self control in the Holy Spirit for me. So uh, for one moment in my life. Hey, by the way, um, today's podcast is going to feature a conversation between me and Pastor Byron Davis, uh, the church planting founding pastor of Liberation Church, Liberation Ministries, the L. They are our partner church. They're a very close partner church. I updated our whole congregation, Byron, on where our partnership stands and it's become more close recently. Um, and will in the future. Uh, I upgraded, I updated the congregation on that as part of my sermon. Uh, in the Q&A afterward, they asked specifically. So we're going to hear from Byron in just a minute. Uh, but why don't we start with just a little bit of, of uh, I've gotten feedback from Sunday's message. You've been involved in some pretty intense things. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. uh, tell us where you were last night and why, Harrison. Yeah, well, speaking of our our partnership with uh, our friends at the L. My buddy Canel uh, sent me a message yesterday and was like, uh, basically, hey, man, I'm, I'm going out uh, this afternoon. Canel is a night. leader of worship That's at right. the L, our partner church. Who's been here at Lake Forest He's led worship a here number of times, at yeah. Lake Forest Huntersville a bunch of times. Yeah. so He's uh, a good-looking man, so you'll probably remember him. He's, he's a good Lake dude, Forest. too. <laughs> Um, so He's here in the room that's, filming. That's, that's right. Why. That's right. Um, yeah. So yesterday afternoon, he said, "I'm headed out to the uh, the NAACP. It had a planned uh, had a, a planned protest that was starting on the steps of the government center and walked all through uh, the streets of Uptown. So uh, uh, I went out there and was able to uh, walk and hang out with Canel and and experience, uh, you know, a a, a really great look, a great moment of understanding for me of, 
hearing the voices mm-hmm. of uh, of people who are hurting right now, mm-hmm. and it was just awesome to get to hang out with uh, with Canel and walk around and, and experience that with him and and be brothers together. So it was cool. Uh, it made me happy knowing that you guys were there together. Yeah. Uh, my son was there last night, I believe, um, unless his Instagram was lying. <laughs> and um, Byron and I are going to talk a little bit about the nature of the what we're seeing in the protests. I want to hear Byron's view on if anything's different quick, this, quick, this time. Quick side note, I don't even think I told Canel this yesterday, but I, I read uh, a Charlotte reporter, Joe Bruno, I think he's with WSOC, uh, was out there. He's been covering news in Charlotte for a long time. He said the only the only march uh, that he's seen in Charlotte's gotten anywhere close to this one was the, the women's march happened a couple of years ago. He said he felt like there were more people at this, and they thought there were 10,000 at that one. So they think it was over uh, 10,000 people marching through uh, Charlotte yesterday. M- most importantly, a diverse crowd. A lot of mm-hmm. white folks uh, saying, we, we're we trying to listen mm-hmm. this time. Canel, what percent of, of white, uh, of African American and then other, would you estimate the, the crowds have been last night uptown? Charlotte. Last night, during the protest itself, I would say just yeah maybe forty five percent black people. So uh, so Canel, who's been there quite a bit, uh, estimates forty five only forty five percent black people. Um, so hey, real quick, I've gotten some feedback from the sermon, uh, and most of you have felt like that was a Holy Spirit moment for our church. I did for me, as I I really labored over how to lead our church uh, in the hour or two leading up to that mm-hmm. moment. Um, there, so, uh, so overwhelming, our folks have said, we're in, what can we do? How can, uh, and so, I'm, number one, I'm super excited about the upcoming, uh, well, I'll talk about that with Byron, too, something else we're doing. I'll save that. But here's a couple of, of feedback. Um, here's an email I received uh, Tuesday morning. Good morning, Mike. This is from a ministry partner here at Lake Forest. Uh, who shall remain nameless. I want to thank you for encouraging all of us to reach out to a member of the black community in your message on Sunday. That was I had an application at the end of the sermon on kindness just for white Christians. We don't only have white people at Lake Forest, but the, my application was for them. He said, thanks for encouraging us to reach out to a member and have a conversation to listen, not to talk, uh, a, a black acquaintance or friend at the end of your message. Like many, I've been struggling with my head and my heart over the recent news about racism in the country. This is from a white man. I've struggled with the belief that I'm not racist, but wondered how I could make a difference. I've actually argued with my youngest son about how prevalent racism is in the country or not. He thinks it's more pervasive than I do. When I believe, while I believe there's a problem around us, I've let myself feel comforted by the thought that each incident of racism is a, quote, individual's problem, like it's just that guy's problem. Mm -hmm. Today, I can't let myself. Feel that comfort, comfort, which, by the way, this individual writing me, I'm so honored that you would share this with us. Your message made me think about the men of color in my life. Honestly, I don't have many because my professional career doesn't have many minorities. And then he goes on and says, so who he thought of was. Uh, from one of his son's uh, sports playing teams. He had struck up a friendship with the, the dad of an African-American on the team. And so here's what he says. Um, let's see. 
uh, so last night I sent that dad, uh, an African-American man, a long text to check in and express some of my struggles on race in the country, admitting I don't have a frame of reference on what racism feels like. Wow. My editorial comment. That's powerful, Lake Forest person, mm. that you texted a friend of color and said that. He ended up calling me. We spoke for nearly an hour. His perspective on race in the country was really interesting. <clears throat> Throughout our talk, we agreed with each other on almost every issue, including the need for changes in our country. Uh, before we hung up, he thanked me for calling and said that he needed to talk to someone as well. I think we both felt the call to be therapeutic, knowing that each of us would be honest with the other and how we felt and fears we had. I'm glad I got to know him. I'm glad now we both had the opportunity to love each other's kids, uh, and we shared the, uh, I'm glad I talked to my friend and that we got caught up. Um, thank you from a ministry partner. Wow. Cool. Um, here's something else that was passed along to me secondhand from a ministry partner. Um, uh, I can't ignore that what happened to R. Barry and Floyd was cold-blooded murder. And I have not been able to see that in the past. And I would never have been able to even see that in these two videos apart from being a ministry partner at Lake Forest. I've been a Christian my whole life, but it never meant anything or changed me until I started following Jesus at Lake Forest. So, that's just a couple. Last night our community group met with distancing outside, mm -hmm. studying the book of James. And uh, several of them gave their account of actually following through on the takeaway from the sermon and calling a friend of color and saying, how are you doing? How are you feeling? And they said it was a powerful experience. Each of them did. Uh, and the others are thinking through. They didn't want to just willy-nilly. They're thinking through how and who they will reach. So um, I'm, uh, I think, number one, I just am encouraged that there are people at Lake Forest not only listening to God's word but saying, I, what can I, wanting to do. Uh, we start Thursday night. Uh, Thursday nights in June, Pastor Cook is going to lead a discussion on racism in America and uh, what, what's the subtitle? White Christians' Responsibility mm -hmm. in It. Yeah. Over 120 Lake Forest people, including people, persons of color, have signed up to be on that, and I'm excited to see where that goes. Yeah. Uh, Harrison, is it time to bring in Pastor Davis? I think it's that time. Let me let me pause. Uh, I'm going to keep it rolling, and you can introduce uh, maybe our partnership with the L, and I'm going to clean up my stuff okay. so I can give it to okay. Pastor Byron. Okay. So, For those of you who second. may be new to Lake Forest, uh, gosh, 15 years ago, Byron, uh, the, the, the then mayor of Huntersville said to each of us separately, hey, there's a pastor here in town in Huntersville who I think he, you guys would like each other. Y'all should meet. I said, okay. I mean, I, you know, the Bible says do what the authorities say. So I, <laughs> uh, I don't know who reached out to who, but we got together and just found ourselves very simpatico with a heart for the gospel, a heart for people, a heart for the church, and a heart for our community. And so Byron and I just became friends. Um, over time, we started to do a few things. Uh, friends, and I don't mean friends like you have coffee in a professional manner. I mean friends like he and his wife Sherry have shared dinner with Angie and I around our table at home. Um, over time, we started doing a few partnership mission projects as churches. Byron uh, 
went and another member went with us on one of our India mission trips. We shared with them some missions in the community, your Thanksgiving meal that you, sh- you share every year. Some of our folks have helped with that. We s- turned it into sharing the pulpit from time to time, swapping our worship teams. You, the L is a predominantly African-American church plant that meets during non-pandemic Sundays at Hornet's Nest Elementary on Beatty's Ford Road. We've moved into being partner churches uh, for the sake of doing stuff that we at Lake Forest do anyway, which is we coach church plants and church planters several every year uh, in our denomination, outside of our denomination, for, for growth and health just because of our experience with multiple church plants. And so we've upped our partnership to that level, and we're considering greater partnership in the future. So Byron, my friend, welcome. Good morning, Mike. Yeah. So neat to be here. It's great to be here. You might want to be a little closer to the mic so our sound isn't uneven. Gotcha. Uh, we don't want me to be louder than you. Um, thank you for being here. Sure, sure. My pleasure. Um, how's your congregation doing during the pandemic and just this week of, uh, of facing, once again, baldly, the realities that black Americans live with, that white Americans are often... Uh, we ignore or we, we're just not aware of? How's your congregation as a whole doing? As a whole, I think they're doing okay, but then I know if I'm dealing with it, they are too. We feel bad that we are, we're struggling more than other races mm-hmm. because of, of the pandemic, and, and we just feel that shouldn't be either. Mm-hmm. So you're dealing with that, uh, we're frontline workers, and so a lot of us have to go out. And so there's a lot going on. But saying all of that, as Christians, we ultimately think that God, believe, trust that God will get us through it. But we're getting through it, but again, it is not easy at, at all. Another reason why we white Christians need to be sure that we are getting news from multiple sources and fact-based news uh, is so that we can hear you when you say, uh, my version of what you just said is, these two crises are actually related. The frustration, yes. anger, and sadness yes. in the black community is, uh, has been um, uh, enlarged by the fact that the, out, the fallout of the pandemic, economically and health-wise, has fallen yes. statistically. I'm not talking about what your view is. Right. Statistically, it's fallen hard on the black community and so it's important for people like me to know that i might have seen it in a sentence or two but but we need to bear witness to that it, it's related to inequities in our country sure on my way here this morning mike i was listening to some news and it was saying that african-americans make 73 73 cents on the dollar compared to white people that didn't surprise me, but this one did. A African-American with a college degree has less wealth than a white person who didn't finish high school. Mm-hmm. That shocked me. Mm-hmm. And so when you hear things like that, it, it kind of just gets to you. I read a, uh, in an article today, they quoted a study by the University of Minnesota Law School that in Minneapolis, they was talking about why Minneapolis in particular is a tinderbox for this kind of thing happening, uh, that in Minneapolis, 
a black person who earns $173,000 gets approved for a house loan at the same rate as a white person who makes $42,000. Does not surprise me. I remember when I was uh, not in full-time ministry and I was out working, I applied for this position, Mike. Mind you that uh, it was a labor job, but I was applying for a job up in the office. I was the only one in the plant, including the manager, that had a college degree. So I applied for the job. I wasn't even given the opportunity to go to the next level. The person that they gave the job to, not only was he white, but he was unable to take the test. He got another black employee to take the test for him. And here I am with a college degree. The person that's hiring me to this position doesn't have a college degree, but yet I didn't get an opportunity, so I'm not surprised. Byron, I have thought from time to time and a lot recently, in the face of these statistics as well as the personal experience that I know you, Canel, others could offer, I I imagine myself, if I were a, a black man, what kind of Holy Spirit self-control fruit in my life of the gospel would it take for me to not be enraged all the time kicking down stuff and just mad and angry at the world and frankly angry at God it gives me incredible respect uh, for you personally your gentle demeanor Byron I that's one of my favorite things about you as my friend that that you calm me down sometimes in our private conversations you you might be responsible for me still having a job (laughs) um for not going off on some things and how do you manage that i have to remember that and this doesn't excuse some of the violence but it does help me understand i have to imagine or remember that when i'm angry sometimes other people can't feel my pain and it's bad enough for you to cause me pain, but then to allow what you did to me make me cause myself more pain, uh. I have to find some level of control. And I think what we see going on in the cities right now are people like, I can't take this pain anymore. I have to release it. Yeah. Uh, people who have pets and they love their pets. If you took your pet that you loved and put that pet in a corner and you began to abuse it, it would it would curl up and protect itself. Mm-hmm. But if you abuse that pet long enough, at some point it would turn on you, not because it doesn't like you, it goes into survival mode. Yeah. And so sometimes when you say, why are these people out here doing this? They feel like they are now in survival mode. Everything is thrown out the window. I want to survive. I need to be heard. Well, do it this way. That way it didn't work. I need to survive. I have to release. Everybody, no matter who you are, at some point has to have a release. Mm-hmm. I've been fortunate. As much as I've been discriminated against in my life, I can't compare my discrimination with some of my brothers and sisters. I, I can't mm-hmm. begin to do it. But I do understand it. I do understand it. Thank you for that. Um, what uh, One of the things that I've uh, thought was important to say to our congregation Sunday, which is predominantly white, <clears throat> um, and I like being a white guy. I'm not ashamed of whiteness. I, 
folks have misunderstood me in the past. Do you mm-hmm. hate white people, Mike? Because every time you bring this up, <laughs> you know, you're like telling us stuff we need to do. And I'm like, yes, because I'm talking to mostly white people, and I'm a white person, and so I'm applying the Bible to the congregation God gave me. And, and it's Byron's job to apply the Bible to his congregation that's predominantly African-American. So I, I don't hate white people. I like my history. I'm, I'm proud of my family. Um, but I felt it important to say to people like me Sunday, we need to exercise the fruit of the Holy Spirit of self-control and not focus on what media and political ideologies and our own whiteness wants to do in defense of to overshadow the discussion about how bad racial inequality is. We want to focus on law and order issues or the violence that's happening and say, well, stop that, and then maybe we can talk. I ask them to exercise self-control and not have that conversation, particularly with persons of color, and not make that their focus in social media and political engagement, but have self-control and deal with the problem that is clearly shown in those, particularly the videos of Mr. Arbery, Mr. Floyd's murder. Um, what? But I, let me just ask you, even though I ask them to not make that their agenda, mm-hmm. what would you say to white Christians, or just Christians in general, because I know it's a concern for you too, you just said, the, the, the violent aspects you know, of bad actors coming in mm-hmm. and kind of help uh, ruining some of the message at times, it feels like. To, how, give us our, your perspective on to, that. To focus on the violence, for me, is to go out and cut your grass and not expect it to grow the next week. Because if you focus on the violence without focusing on the root of the violence, mm-hmm. it's going to grow right back next week. Yeah. And so if you're wanting to kill something in your lawn, you don't cut it, you go to the root of it. Uh-huh. And so when you talk about the violence, you're talking about the end result of something that occurred long before the protest ever uh, began. Uh-huh. So unless you go to the root of the system, yeah. it's not going anywhere. Byron, that's helpful, and it reminds me, that's how I'm trying to think of it as a white, not just a white Christian man, but a white Christian leader. I have a responsibility. It feels like a, it feels like a weight and a burden, but I'm called to wear it, to lead with a biblical vision, people of God at this time. And so what you just said sounds very similar to what, how I'm thinking and with talking with my friends, my Christian friends, which is, that's very similar to, it, I as a white person really want to, I want to offload the burden and the blame of racism in our country on white supremacists. Because I can see them and their signs, and I can easily go, you know what, they're the problem. Let's just focus it all on them. Then that lets me out, lets me out of, of realizing they're not in charge of the system those are some fringe people. There's a systemic issue. There's an issue in, in me, in everyday normal people. Uh, in fact, I, I had the privilege of being a part with uh, a handful of other clergy around Charlotte, a part of, of writing and editing to get it just right, a statement that w- we just released on behalf of white clergy in Charlotte. I don't know if you've seen that yet, Byron. I did. I did. We released it in The Observer yesterday. Uh, on behalf of, there were a few of us were had kind of initiated it because somebody's got to write this, mm-hmm. and then we 
send it out to a wider group of clergy, and now it's online, or the Observer's putting it online so that all white leaders, it's a statement to black clergy. So it's my statement to you, Byron, uh, and to black community leaders. Um, But when we were crafting that statement, there was a lot of debate about whether or not to condemn white supremacy in the statement, which is justified. We decided to take it out because it over-focused on well, those bad guys, if, it's, it's, if we could just get rid of them, it's not really our responsibility. So we took that out on purpose. Much as I uh, dislike white supremacy, that's not my issue. Mm-hmm. My issues are the people who are white who don't look like they're prejudiced, mm-hmm. who don't act like they're prejudiced. Now, let me say this to your audience. I ask you, could I pour my heart out? Could I be open and could I be honest? And so let me say this to your audience. Everything that I'm going to say, it is in love. But to come here and to not be honest would do all of us a disservice. Please say what is on your heart now. And I need your white congregation and my white friends to do the same. Just say what's on your heart. I mean, it is so liberating to be able to not worry about am I offending you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, Be real. I'm not worrying about the white supremacists. They're they're not my issues. I'm more concerned with white pastors. Okay. Let me give you an example. I do not associate myself with the Billy Graham evangelistic organization. I just can't. I I think Billy Graham was one of the greatest evangelists that ever lived. I think that to this day. But I I can't be a part of that organization. Why is that? Because I was watching the news one morning, and his son Franklin was doing an interview on MSNBC, and I'm like, all right, Franklin, you're going over to the enemy side. I got a lot of respect for you. Mm-hmm. And Joe Barrow asked him a question, and he said, do you think President Obama is a Muslim? And that's when I locked in. What is he going to say? He knows he's not, so let go ahead, Franklin. Straighten him out. He said, I don't know. It could be. Hmm. And Joe Scarborough said, Reverend Graham, you know he's not a Muslim. You know that this president came to your house, stood on, bowed on his knee, held your father's hand, and prayed for him in the name of Jesus, and you were standing beside him. So why would you tell your audience that you don't know could be when you were present with him praying for your father in the name of Jesus? Hmm. And from that day on, he lost me. Okay. And here's what my white friends need to understand. We don't forget certain things. Hmm. I mean, that has stuck with me forever. I think that organization is one of the greatest in the world, but I can't deal with it because of what Franklin did. From that day forward, I decided that this man loves politics more than he loves religion. Hmm. I think that that his political uh, influence is more powerful than his religious influence. And as a man of God, I have wanted to post so many things, Mike. I've wanted yeah. to say so many things. Let me but, pull you back from that precipice. Yeah, <laughs> but but I'm like, suppose it affects the cause of Christ. I, I got it out of my system and I said it, but I can't I can't affect the cause of Christ. And for me, he affected the cause of Christ. Had I not been a Christian, he's one Christian who could never draw me to Christ. Mm. And he knew better. It was all political. Mm -hmm. And so I think we have to be careful what we say. 
and what will it do to the, especially if you're in a position of influence and power, what will it do? How will it affect other people? And again, I love the ministry, and I keep it keeps going back in my mind. His mom saying, don't do it, son, stay out of politics. And he did until she died. And so he lost me, and he's lost a lot of people. And so when Donald Trump is not in office and all that's gone, he still has lost us because of that one statement. And if you're saying as a Christian, we're Byron, when are you going to forgive him? He doesn't ask for forgiveness. I'm not angry with him. I don't hate him. I don't have anything against him. I just can't. Before you can receive a message, you have to receive the person who's giving yeah. the message. So that's a voice you won't trust. There you go, a voice. Nor those under his leadership. Um, you said that you're worried most. I, I'm not sure if you said worried or uh, the, your problem, your greatest problem, is actually white pastors. Can you say more about that? Yes. Maybe less, yes, uh, yes. less well-known ones. What, yeah. what, what do you mean for average my Joe con- white pastor yeah. like me? My congregation is a reflection of me, good, bad, or indifferent. And so if a white pastor stands in a pulpit and says things that are racist, then his members, not all of them, but his members trust him. They believe God told him to say that. And so I am more concerned when white pastors say things, for instance, again, that this uh, pastor said that he implied very clearly that, again, President Obama was the Antichrist. Well, then his members start believing that. And so when you say things, when you have a voice and people trust you, you have to be very careful when you use that voice. You God should be first. Everybody who knows me know I don't like Donald Trump. Well, I was in the pulpit. Oh, oh Byron. <laughs> I gave you permission to be open and honest, but there you go. Listen, I was in my pulpit one Sunday, and I was ranting and raving about Donald Trump. And God said to me, pray for him and do it openly in front of the audience. I hated it with a passion, but I prayed for Donald Trump sincerely in front of my audience because God told me to do it. I don't know why God told me to do that, but he did because he I— He was rebuking you. <laughs> he got me good. I've he got me good. similar rebukes. <laughs> but my, my, my loyalty to God overrides all politics. Mm-hmm. Overrides everything. Over it, period. And so when I say I'm afraid of pastor, white pastors, I'm afraid sometimes that they're not listening to God. That they're well. I'm a conservative, so I can't say anything negative about conservatives. Well, I've said things that I disagreed about Jesse Jackson, Al Sharpton, and lots of, of black leaders because I didn't agree with it. Mm-hmm. Because I just think we need to be open and honest and not, if you're in a position of power, you can't be influenced by things that you know are wrong. You have to stand up. And I don't think, and now I mean all white pastors, not well, even me, a majority. Well, let me ask you a, on a different angle. Um, and I, I appreciate you. Um, th- thank you for being open. It's helpful for our folks and me to just hear what you really experience and think. Um, so, so for a second now, uh, a, a white pastor, probably the majority of my pastor friends, uh, would not say the kind of thing 
that you just quoted another pastor from saying. Something that they kind of know is really racially tinged and negative toward African Americans or or President Obama, etc. Um, the hair, the music came on. Harrison. Oh, you're good. I'll cut it later. <laughs> okay. <laughs> just keep uh, talking. Forget about it. I, I a theme that I have seen on social media and on sign signage at the protests. Saw it on social media posted by white Christians last night. Um, is uh, a theme of silence means in the face of racial inequity and or injustice that as exemplified by the videos of the murders of those two men. Mm-hmm. Silence is, uh, uh, is complicity with the worst of our racial inequity. And those are white people ha- ha- holding up those signs. Can you speak for a moment? And, and I think that's, that's what I'm trying to own in a new way. It's what I see the, the white Bible-believing church community trying to own not being silent not just saying well man that's a shame black people are victims of racism I hope they figure that out right but speaking uh, paying attention listening owning and doing there this is a unique er moment seeing such a high percentage of white persons at the protests I'm seeing high percentage of white Christians, social media posting, talking with each other, my community group last night, owning, hey, there is a problem. We haven't been listening. So can you talk to me now about, you've given a couple examples of problems with white pastors. Um, How one where there's clearly political alignment that might be stronger than than biblical alignment in some public statements. Another, a person's, you know, own political views being just super open in the pulpit that reflect negatively that were was ugly toward our first black president. Talk to me about a guy like me who, I don't know, I wonder how many years, if you went back and listened to my preaching for 22 years, I wonder how many years straight you might could listen to my sermons and never hear this issue addressed, even though it's the original sin of America. It remains the most gaping, unhealed wound in our wound in our country and wounds people daily. Tell me about your, your fears or your hopes of white clergy being silent or not and, and how does silence also hurt you or hurt the situation? Okay. Uh, let me start with where you ended. How would you relate to your former sermons before now? There's a saying that says, when you know better, do better. Mm-hmm. You know better now, so you do better. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's all anybody's asking. Mm-hmm. You can't do what you don't know. Now, there are plenty of Lake Forest people, in fact, <laughs> a year ago we— did a focus Sunday on race and the Bible, race and the gospel, I think I titled it. And I definitely got some emails of, Mike, how come you talk about this all the time? Because it's a problem <laughs> the, all the, the time. Yes, that's right. And I, I, so I may be a little bit of an outlier the last few years, but um, so keep going. If 
I were out drowning, no matter how I got out there, it was my own fault. I was being careless. I didn't have on a life preserver. I was drinking. I did a thousand things to put me in a bad situation. And you saw me. You had a life preserver. You had a boat. You, you can swim. And you said, you know what? He shouldn't have put himself in that situation. I have nothing to do with that. Would you do that? Who would do that? If that person sees something, it is almost human nature when you see somebody in a bad situation to help them, whether you know them or not. Uh, let me use the Bible. The Bible talked about this man that had gotten injured, mm -hmm. and three people saw him. Two walked by and one stopped. Not just the Bible. This is Jesus yes. giving an illustration when, when he was asked, well, who is my neighbor? If you're telling me to love my neighbor, who is my neighbor? Silence are the two people walking by. Wow. That's who they are. That, that's the two people. They didn't cause it, they, but they didn't feel it was a part of them. So you're not my brother's keeper. If you go walk by, you're not my brother's keeper. You don't love me if you walk by. If mm. you're silent, you're saying, I don't want to come out of my safety zone. And that's part of the problem of silence, not coming out of your safety zone. Byron, is it, um, do you think it might be helpful? Well, actually, this is more a question for me because I know my congregation and similar congregations. But I'm, I'm, I have in the past applied to myself, and I wonder if this isn't exactly the way for that, that the white church can uh, stay uh awakened on this matter and act with deliberation and intent over a long period of time is if we're able to cast it at the most basic of Jesus teaching and emulation of what he did which is right his basic ethic for every Jesus follower is love your neighbor as yourself and the smaller detail in that story is when asked, who's my neighbor, you just told it and told not silence is abrogating his command of love. But then his specific example was a person ethnically and socioeconomically different from uh, the hearers. Jesus didn't waste words. He was purpose and intentional. Yes. Whether or not that detail's even in that parable of the Good Samaritan, uh, I'm... I'm wondering if it's going to be helpful for me to couch it with me, my friends, our congregation. Love of neighbor in the way of Jesus means if your neighbor says, just like you said, hey, we're drowning over here. First of all, love takes them their claim seriously. Love doesn't say, well, I know better than you. You don't know what you're talking about. Exactly. That, that's, a, that's an illusion. That's a way to ruin a marriage, by the way. If your wife or husband comes to you and says, hey, there's, there's something in our relationship that I, I need it to be different. I need more or less of this because it's hurting me. It is unlove for a husband or wife to go, I don't think that's a problem. Love says, you say it's a problem and I'm involved in it. Let me listen to understand and then work with you to do something. That's just basic love in a marriage that people struggle with. This is societal love. To, to take seriously, my neighbor is hurt, is drowning. 
our into the entire African American community in the United States of America. When you say I don't think that's a problem, there's some truth in that. It's not a problem for you. Mm-hmm. It's not a problem for you. In that marital example, whatever that behavior is that my wife says to me, hey, this is hurtful to me. Well, I'm doing it because it's working for me. Exactly. <laughs> so so it's not a problem for me. That's ex- that's insightful, Byron. Yeah, uh, my, recept- my perception is my reality. And as a pastor, my member's perception is their reality. And so even if I don't disagree with, uh, agree with them, it's where they are. And the one thing I love about my Jesus, he meets you where you are, yes. not where you should be, not what you need, right where you are. And that's where he stays until you can get to that next yes. place. And that's what we're not doing. Uh, I'm at one place and you're at a higher place. The Bible says you have an obligation. Yeah. If, if you call me your brother. Yeah. To do and, what you can to help me get there. And my responsibility and the hardest work of my life, Byron, moving forward, is going to be to help to delink love of neighbor over racial inequities from a partisan political divide. Because what is important is for me to not say, therefore, this, this has got to be delinked for Christians, I'm saying. I don't know about other people, how they make sense of it. Um, because if, it's, if it is or is perceived as, therefore everybody has to go to one political stripe. Well, that's not going to, um, that's just not going to work. Uh, it's also putting politics over Bible. Uh, but to, because many of the, uh, some of the politicians I admire most who are advocating, ex- for example, for prison reform, for uh, the sentencing reform, uh, the uh, that to help decriminalize young black men by the way we're structured to sentence for nonviolent crimes is uh, some of those are uh, are Republicans at the forefront, for example, of those two issues. And so later you get into tactics and we can disagree over policy and how we're going to get at these things. But for the white Christian community to own the problem, we will speak, we will act. We, we just have a few more minutes, Byron. Can I ask you, um, so if, if white pastors, in the third example, who may have mostly just been silent, which is complicity, and, and we're owning up to that now, more white pastors are, that Charlotte Observer statement says that in boldface type. Mm-hmm. Friends, you can Google that if you want, clergy Charlotte Observer statement. Um, in what way for us to not be silent? Me, as a pastor, you know how I do my work. Sure. Other white clergy in the Charlotte area. What would be, A, most encouraging to black Christians to see and know is happening? In white, and B, what do you think would be most effective? Uh, David said to God, God, search my heart, know me, show me myself. And if you see anything that shouldn't be there, would you remove it? What white Christians need to do is say, God, let me see me for who I really am, not for who Mm. I think I am, not for who people say that I am. You show me the real me. And then give God permission to remove some of those things or or cause you to deal with those things. But let me, since we don't have much time, Mike, I got to get this out to my white brothers and sisters. You got some questions to answer that black Christians are confused with. And and I I don't want politics, but I don't know how to separate it. 
I don't know how you're going to explain to black Christians your support of Donald Trump. But let me make something clear. Not because he's black people don't dislike Donald Trump because he's a Republican. They don't dislike him because of of conservative policy. It has nothing to do with policies or Mm -hmm. or his part. Mm -hmm. Nothing to do with those things. It has everything to do with the morality of this man. The I used to think he was not a racist. I said he was an opportunist. He just he doesn't care who support comes from. But over time, I had to let that. I had to accept the reality. And so what. I need my white friends to do is to just help me understand. You don't have to change your mind. Just help me understand. How do you say you're not racist, but you support someone who most of the nation thinks is racist? Let me also say this. I have plenty of white friends who support Donald Trump that I will go to the bet for who are not racist. Mm -hmm. They are not racist, but I don't understand how they support a racist. And if he is not a racist, I'm all ears. Share with me. Help me understand how this man is not a racist. And then that would help. Help black people understand how we got this thing wrong. Mm -hmm. He's not what we perceive him to be. Thus, you can support him. This is very extreme. But it's hard to say I support Hitler, but I I love Jews. Mm -hmm. It Mm -hmm. makes no sense. Mm -hmm. And so I just don't understand. But again... Everybody that supports him is not a racist, by no means. Thank you for clarifying that. And I know some friends are talking about that. By no means. And it's important to note, uh, like Forrest, as a a white uh, evangelical congregation, evangelicals in the name of our denomination. Uh, So theologically, biblically, we are that. It's important to note we uh, are very, we are actually a, a politically very diverse congregation in the Lake Forest family of churches, which is a bit unique. Mm-hmm. In our space of types of churches, that's very intentional. We never, uh, su- I never uh, support or say vote for this candidate or that candidate. And so we have strong opinions about our president within our congregation, and that's a matter that's calling for kindness and civility even in our body of Christ. It's testing us, and it will test us this fall. However, statistically, yes, uh, white Christians, particularly white evangelical Christians. It's not accurate when the media says evangelicals support President right, Trump at such right. and such percent. It's white evangelicals because a vast percentage of evangelicals in this country, theologically, biblically speaking, are uh, uh, people of color. That uh, So it's a, that's an important nuance. Um, but I, I hear what you're saying, and I, and I just want to say to our, to our, our listeners here, Lake Forest folks, what Pastor Davis just said to us— about our current president um, has been shared with me privately by almost every uh, black clergy person that I know, either calmly or, or frustratingly. And so I, I want us to hear that we, we are bearing witness that that is their experience and their feeling and, and they're out of, out of very factual things. Uh, about our president, and it's, it is their question to us. You just posed it to us. I wonder if, I know when I have these discussions behind closed doors with people, uh, my part of it is just what we're talking about. White Christians are, are, it's very hard for us to own how significant daily, moment by moment, a problem racism is in our country, and how how terrifying it is for my next-door neighbor, who's an African-American man, 
to have to not allow, I'm now, I'm sorry, I'm talking about another friend, a pastor friend, to not allow his teenage boys to bicycle through their South Charlotte neighborhood right now. That's terrifying. That's terrifying every day for them. Um, a, a friend of mine is African-American. I won't go further with that. And so I think it's us white Christians owning to how immense the suffering due to historic racial inequality and injustice is because for you, you just stated how important that problem is and how it is singularly important in who should be the leader of our country, and that's a disqualifier. And I think white Christians not viewing the problem as so large may lead to the what you just stated. You said you had some other questions. Uh, we'll take a couple more minutes for you, man. Okay, good, good. Um, ask yourself this since we were talking about Donald Not Trump. that we haven't stepped in it yeah. enough already. I, I, and well, I'd like to clarify, you, you stepped in it. You gave me permission. <laughs> ask yourself this question. Why did not people think Ronald Reagan was prejudiced? Why did they not go crazy when he got in the White House? Why, I voted for him. Okay. Why did they not go crazy when Bush got in the White House? Why did they not go crazy when Nixon went in the White House? I will be honest. I'll take Nixon any day over Trump. He's a crook, but he, but he didn't. This was the first time in my life when I saw racists be open and proud about being racist. Hmm. This was the first time that I saw racists support a president of the United States, openly support him. Normally they did it behind closed doors because the president would be required to denounce it. This time they openly supported it and he would not denounce them. There is something crazy about that. I would vote for no one before I would vote for Barack Obama if I thought he was that type of a person. I just, I got to answer to God for this. I just, I can't in good conscience. But but you mentioned your neighbor, and you had asked me about a, a scripture to help. Uh, what's it a yes, one of our members, uh, who's African-American, uh, mother of a bunch of boys, um, Cheryl Ann, asked after the sermon Sunday a scripture that would be helpful either to her as a mother with her heart or to her sons for when she has to tell them why they cannot walk and bike in their neighborhood here in North Charlotte. And I said I was going to ask you. You asked me to give a scripture. Proverbs 22 and 6 says, Train a child up when he's young and so he's old he won't depart from it. Okay. As hard as it is for this mother, she has an obligation if she wants to protect her child to tell him the truth. Not only tell him the truth, but prepare him for the truth because keeping your kids in your house will not shield and protect them. Matter of fact, it will make them unprepared for the world that they have to go into. Mm. And so the Bible says train, which means teach. Most of my experiences with police uh, stops, when I get stopped, especially at night, have gone positive only because I was trained. I was told mm. Turn your dome light on. If a police, when the blue light comes on, my dome light comes on. 
while he's running or whatever he's doing back there. I am pulling out my license. I'm pulling out my registration. All this is training. I've been trained. Don't lean over too far. Make sure it's close to you because I'm already scared to death. I don't want him coming up to my car, my car also scared to death because I'm going to lose in that, in that situation. So training and preparing your children. I have a nephew who the police pulled a gun on he was driving a car. He was still a kid. They didn't supposed to be out there. They pulled a gun on the kid. Hmm. So he has a negative experience with police officers. So he said to me one day, Uncle B.Y., I'm not going to let him do me wrong. So I had to train him. I said, nephew, it's better to let him do you wrong and you live. than you to express yourself and I have to do your funeral. I had to train him to take things that he shouldn't have to take because I want him to live. And so to that mother, train your child so they can live. It's about living. And so that's the best thing we can do is to train and to prepare us so that we can live. The long game, I want to live. You did me wrong. You discriminated against me, but I want to live. I'll give you two other things, Mike. And I feel guilty to this day to a certain degree for this. I was a manager of a restaurant, and this person who lived in the neighborhood, African-American senior citizen, he, he drank a lot. He was an alcoholic, but he was also a mute, and he couldn't talk. He came in my restaurant once, came in there many times, but this day he came in drinking wine. It was against the policy. And I said, sir, you can't drink in here. You can't. And he would not leave. So I had to call the police. They put this man in the back seat of the car, and they left the car door open, and this white officer just walked up, leaned in the back of the car, just spit in his face. Mm. And I was, I felt like I caused that because I called the police. I, I, I went on a ride, uh, uh, a ride along with the police officers one day, and they did an eviction. When they, and I knew the man. When when they pulled up, the man walked away. And so, three or four police cars. You need that man to evict somebody. But anyway, they walked in the house. I walked with them because I was part of the ride along. And they kept saying things like, that's mine, that's mine, that's mine. They were sorting out among themselves the things that they were going to take from this man's house. The police. I'm standing there beside them. I'm invisible to them. I don't matter. And they knew I was a pastor. They picked me up in my church. But they felt their power was so much superior to mine. And I was scared to say anything. And so... It's hard to understand what people of color go through until you get to know people of color. So white people get to know us, get to know us. We want the same thing out of life. I want the same thing that you want. Nothing more, nothing less. I want what you want. And so just get to know us. You'll find out that we have more in common than we don't. And so that's what what we're needing for white America. And I will tell you, I am nowhere convinced that what's going on is going to change. I am of the impression, and I'm hoping I'm so wrong, that when everything calms down, normality will come. And normality is the last thing a person of color wants. We don't want normality. We want a new normal. So I'm not excited yet. I hope to get there, but I'm not excited at all. 
Byron, I understand at our community group last night, our group was about half and half. Hey, this might actually lead to some change. Um, all the troubles of the late 60s actually led to the <laughs> desegregation of schools. Uh, you're a, a, a national, some political change, um, which is being undone currently. Uh, and then the other half of our community group said just what you said. I, I, they view it cynically that we'll probably go back to normal. Um, know that the white clergy in the county who all have signed on to this statement, we intend to hold each other accountable, but that's intention right now. It hasn't been done for sustained action. Um, I will tell you one of the most um, encouraging things in my day yesterday as a pastor is I phone called the members of the Huntersville Police Department, uh, officers who are real involved here at Lake Forest Church. A couple of them are on the worship team, and they're each white men. I had conversations and just to see how they're doing. Um, and I was encouraged by my conversations with them. They're, they're each growing Christians here. Uh, but one of them said very specifically to your experiences there, so Mike, Pastor Mike, no one hates a bad cop more than a good cop. And we are enraged looking at the video of Mr. Floyd. Um, that doesn't solve stuff. I know that. Um, well, Byron, thank you. And let me yeah. make this super clear. Um, our conversation today, I think it would be a miss application of it or, or an inappropriate response to overfocus on some political views that Byron just shared. Our overarching application as white Christians is to listen, listen, listen. If we don't know, and, and I was very purposeful in telling you all, I've heard similar things, the same, from almost every one of my evangelical Christian black pastor friends uh, about some of the political th uh, the comments that Byron made. And our job is not to write in this moment, is not to judge that comment through a political lens. It is to listen yes. and understand our African-American Christian brothers and sisters in ways that will help change us in ways that will help us know how to take up our role in the change that is needed. Is that true, what I just said, Byron? I, I just I want to help people. We, you were just very open about things that um, only the most strident are super open about in a public <laughs> uh, forum. And I just want to help folks know how to hear that. Here's why it's so important to just listen. When you're in a debate and you're not listening because you have to make your point, mm -hmm. you don't absorb what was said. Yeah. And so if you're thinking anything other than listening, you have not truly absorbed what was said. And so that's what, you get the chance to respond, but yeah. don't even think about a response. You're in the point of trying to understand. Friends, we just heard the uh, majority black Christian experience and view of what it's like to be black in America, specifically under some specific uh, white leaders. And so we just need to hear, bear witness, take it in. And uh, Jesus, how 
what you call me to love my neighbor as myself, personally, in my interactions where I have power, any power I may have, whether it's a teacher over a classroom, a boss over employees, uh, hiring practices, whether it's an owner of a company, we have a lot of business owners at Lake Forest, a uh, corporate leader of a large division, healthcare worker, what, how is, will Jesus call me to love my neighbor as myself in personal ways as well as how I engage as a citizen in the social and political process? Um, thank you, Byron. Yes. Let me close with this, Mike. Uh, Lake Forest has a lot to learn, but you are so far ahead of the curve. You are so far ahead of the curve. I know what I'm talking about. I deal with a lot of churches that don't look like me. I went to this one church, and I know I need to close. And uh, we were doing mission work. We were raising money. It was me, a white gentleman, and someone from India. And he, the pastor greeted us, and he saw me. He said, oh, is that your driver? Hmm. It's the pastor. Wow. So wonder what he teaches his flock. Wow. And he has no idea what he communicated to you, I would guess. Has not. That, that's your example of not even aware there's somebody drowning out there. That th- that is how what black people are dealing with daily. Yeah, if I were not jaded, if I were jaded, I go back and, and push that to my members how bad white people are. But I'm not jaded. I I put him in his circle. This is you. This is not white people as a whole. But my point is, it starts at the top. The people who mm-hmm. have the voice have to make the difference. I'm honored uh, <clears throat> by the ways that you honor and compliment me in front of your congregation when I visit. I hope you feel the same when you come here to Lake Forest, Huntersville. Uh, our friendship is is a real one. I'll go down for you. <laughs> Likewise, our partnership in the gospel is rooted in our friendship, and um, and we pray that that grows stronger between our churches in days and years to come, especially this year. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, and thank Lake Forest. All right, friends. We will be back next week, and I'm going to talk about something like, uh, I don't know, how nice honeysuckle smells, how good watermelon tastes. I'm going to talk about um, the most non-controversial stuff possible. Jesus loves me, this I know. So I'll see you for the next episode. I'm going to sign off without Harrison this week. Goodbye. All right, thanks. Thank you.